morning. As Josh put his hand on me, I could just feel the presence come. Phew. All right. Good morning, everybody. God is indeed good. I can feel the excitement, so that's wonderful. Truly is wonderful. Let me just encourage you to relax. Because you can't make it happen. You cannot. You can have a hunger and a desire and a thirst, which is wonderful. But you can't. I find in my own life, when you so desire after God, sometimes we can, I don't know how to put this other than we get into the flesh. And I just find the more I can relax, the more I can receive. If you know what I mean. You know, Lord, bless me, bless me, but it's just, Lord, touch me. So I just want you to relax. We want to do some practicalities today. That's what I'd like to do. There's not going to be a lot of scripture like last week. We've laid a foundation. Let me ask you a question. How many of you did not hear last week's sermon? Just so I know how many in the room. Oh, wow, a number of you. Suffering catfish. Okay. (laughs) All right. All right. Because that laid the foundation for today. That really did. And I could only have time to go through it because it's key for what's going to happen today. But very basically, when John the Baptist said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and he baptizes with the Holy Spirit in fire, he was talking about the ministry of Jesus, the one that not only redeems and saves us because of his sacrifice and death on a cross, his resurrection and ascended, but he will also empower us to do what he did. He calls us to do what he did. He calls us into his family. He calls us to be brothers and sisters. That's what Hebrew says. We are brothers and sisters with Jesus Christ. One of the same family with the same father. Hebrews chapter two. So Jesus is our model. In Hebrews chapter one, the writer of Hebrews says, God spoke in the years gone by through the prophets and various ways and various means, but he has spoken today through his son, Jesus Christ. And so because he's spoken through his son, everything that Jesus did, everything that he lived, everything that he said, everything that he modeled is our model for us, his lifestyle. We can't die on a cross for our sin. He died on the cross for our sin so that we can come into the family of God. The Bible says before we were excluded, we were separated, we excluded from citizenship, We were without covenants and a promise. We were without hope. We were far away. We were foreigners. We were not a people of God. We had not received mercy. But now we are included. We're part of the family. We're brought near. We have unended access. We're fellow citizens. We're saints. We're kings. We're royal priesthoods. We're a holy nation. We're a people belonging to God. The cross positions us. The cross positions us. That's what the cross does. And the more I can understand what happened at the cross, what I mean by the cross, the resurrection, not only the death and his burial, but his resurrection, that's what I mean by the cross. The more we can have an insight 
and revelation of that, the more we'll be positioned into who God says we are, sons and daughters. And then Jesus said, wait, sons and daughters, for my Father as a gift for you. That's the foundation I lost, played last week, and I went through a lot of scripture. And the gift, we know, is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so we see even in Jesus' life, in Luke chapter 3, he went down into the Jordan and he got baptized. And as he came up out of the water, the Bible says the heavens opened. Think about that. It means they were closed. The heavens opened. And the Holy Spirit descended upon him like in a form of a dove and remained upon him. So Jesus being full of the Holy Spirit, conceived by the Spirit, born of the Spirit in the womb of Mary, supernaturally by his Father in heaven, yet he had the Holy Spirit come upon him. Upon him. And the heavens opened. This is my beloved Son whom I love and with whom I'm well pleased. No ministry had started. No miracle had happened. Nothing. 30 years of preparation for that. Then Jesus is led by the Spirit, the Bible says in Luke chapter 4, into the desert. And for 40 days and 40 nights, there's a warfare that happens where the devil comes to tempt him. And we know the outcome of that by the, by the grace of God. And the Bible says he came out of the desert in the power of the Spirit. Then he goes into the synagogue, takes the book of Isaiah, opens it up to Isaiah 61, and reads this. And this is what he reads, and it's in Luke 4. You don't have to turn there. But he quoted Isaiah 61, and many of you know Isaiah 61. And this is what he said. I don't want to misquote it. That's why I'm turning to it. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to release the oppressed. That was a war cry against everything that the devil had done up until then. It wasn't against people. It wasn't against systems. It was against the work of the evil one. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. So he got baptized with the Holy Spirit. And from that time on, he entered into a life of undoing the work of the evil one and all that he did and spoke and preached. And then he passed it on to his disciples and it got passed on to us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That ultimately is what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is about. To equip you and I to undo the work of the evil one in our lives and in other people's lives and in the world. It's not to glorify ourselves, it's to glorify him. It's to learn to live a victorious Christian life. Hallelujah. But he enables us. He gives us his ability to do that. That's what the anointing does. 
as I said last week, it's very simply this, and I loved where is this gentleman here, this young man in the front. Don't worry, it's fine. He listened last week. But now all of a sudden, there's power. That's what the anointing does. Don't change who you are. But the anointing enables supernaturally for something to happen that you can't do. But it's on your life and it comes through your life in various forms, in various manners. Hallelujah. Amen. It really is a gift of the Father. Salvation, the new birth, we receive Christ in the baptism of the Spirit, we receive the gift of the Father. It's key to understand that the Holy Spirit is not a dictator. He will not go where he's not welcoming us. He won't force you and I to do anything. He won't try and control us. He's a helper, he's a comforter, he's a teacher, he's a guide. He'll never usurp your will and he'll never usurp my will. Otherwise we become robots. But he will go where he is welcome and where there's a hunger and where there's a thirst. He will really go. So I've got a lot of notes here. I'm trying to get through it. Because <laughs> I wasn't too sure where God was taking us. Please remember, the Holy Spirit is not the end. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not the end or the goal of our Christian experience. It is a gateway, a doorway into a new realm of Christian living. That's what it is. We still have a personal responsibility to spend time with the Lord, to read the Word, to encourage one another, to help one another. We still have that personal responsibility. It's not a substitute for what we need to do. Hello? That's why a lifestyle is so important. How many of you had a wedding? You don't have to ask me. I had a wedding 44 years ago. There's the proof of my wedding, my wife. But that doesn't determine whether I'm still loving my wife or not. It's like asking somebody, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? They could have said yes, but it could have been 20 years ago, but they are not walking with God today. They are lukewarm. They're cold for whatever reason, through life, through circumstances. I was at a wedding 44 years ago. And today I should say I love my life, my wife more than I did when I got married, which I do. That's a relationship. That's what it's about. Don't get caught up with an experience. Get caught up with a lifestyle. A lifestyle of intimacy with your Father in heaven. That's the key. It's a lifestyle. It's not an experience. An experience will happen, but it's a lifestyle that he wants us to live in ongoingly. Jesus got baptized with the Holy Spirit. And if you read the Gospel of Luke, the Bible says he still got up early some mornings and went to spend time with his father. Before the sun came up, the Bible said he went up to the mountain to pray. The Bible said he was often by himself praying. It was a lifestyle of intimate relationship. And if you foster that, the Holy Spirit will continually refill you for what he's called you to do. But there is an initial experience that I agree with. 
And so even today, as we pray for people, some of you might say, I have been baptized with the Spirit, but I'm not walking where I should be walking. For whatever reason, don't condemn yourself. God is gracious. He will draw you back. He will draw you back. Because he wants a relationship with you. An intimate relationship with you. That's the crux of the matter. So don't let because it's happened to you once before stop you from receiving today. It's a promise of the Father. We're going through these notes quickly. Some signs that, like these signs of rebirth, the Bible gives signs, and I don't have time to preach it, of how you will know that you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not in order, power will come upon your life. What I mean by that, ability. Ability to do things that you couldn't do before. The gifts of the Spirit will begin to operate in your life. That's what will happen. You'll begin to hear the voice of God in a greater clarity. You'll begin to see the manifest supernatural things of God begin to happen in and through your life in ordinary circumstances of life. That's what I mean by power. An ability to live, an ability to overcome, and His ability, not yours, an ability to live victoriously. That's what I mean by power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be witnesses. Not you will be witnessing for me. You will be a witness. As you live your life, you'll be a witness. Why? Because of what I'm doing inside of you. People will see it. It's about being, not doing. You'll, know, you'll, there will, you'll develop a knowing that the risen Lord Jesus is both exalted and glorified at the Father's right hand. You'll no longer know he's not on the cross. He's risen and glorified and he has all power and authority. That becomes real to you. Authority begins to come into your life because you know that fact. It will be a gateway to the supernatural, enter into a new kind of life and a desire for a supernatural life you'll no longer be satisfied with normal Christianity. Hello? <laughs> your, your prayer will be spirit-empowered. It'll take on a different, whole different... Yeah, it'll just be different. And probably with the most important, there's a divine love. The love of God will enter your heart in a new way. A divine love a divine love for people. So, what positions me to receive the Holy Spirit? I'm trying to be as practical as I can, or baptism the Holy Spirit. Number one, be aware of your personal inadequacy and your walk with the Lord without his help. Become aware of that. Become aware that without him, I am nothing. Without him, I am nothing. I don't mean nothing on this earth. I can still live and breathe and go to work and raise kids. Nothing in terms of eternal significance. Nothing in kingdom significance. I really am nothing without him. That has been my saving grace my whole life. Because I know myself. <laughs> Know at times we walk indifferent with the Lord. We don't walk like we should. Become aware of that. 
Not for condemnation for a sake. For the sake of God, I need you. Number two, create a desire for this to change. Create a desire for this to change. Let a desire, a hunger well up inside you to show forth his victory. Of all the motivations that drove my own life from the day I got saved, this is the number one. I wanted people to know who truly the resurrected Jesus is, not a watered-down Jesus. I wanted people to experience the resurrected Jesus, the one with glory and power and majesty. I wanted people to see his total victory. I wanted people to walk in that total victory. That has motivated me more than anything else because of what he did in my own life, because of the way he set me free from things that I knew I couldn't come free from any other way. So they created a desire and a hunger in me. You understand what I'm saying? That motivated me ongoingly in my life. Ask God to give you that. Ask God to God create a hunger in me. Give me a desire in me. Give me a desire in me. Give me a desire. Why do you go to the fridge? Why do you open up the fridge at 10 o'clock at night when you shouldn't, like I do? Because you're hungry. You want something to eat. Because there's a desire in you. Think of that in the spirit. The more you taste of him, the more your desire grows. The more you taste of him, the more your desire grows. Last one, a desire a hunger to honor God and to be used in his service and his glory. Very key, to be used in his service. Everything is about serving his purposes. So the anointing or the baptism of the Holy Spirit will come upon you. It's not for you. It's for someone else. That's key to understand. You might experience it. You might feel good at the moment. And you might feel good ongoingly. But it's not about how happy you feel. It's about how he's enabled you to do what he's called you to do for other people. So it's a servant heart. That's what's needed. Sorry, Tora. I know Tora gave a talk this week. And um, yesterday, was it yesterday? And uh, I hope I'm not giving away confidence. And she came to me and she said, I need prayer. Because I haven't done this for a while. And I'm very nervous. But that told me a lot. That she's saying, Lord, I can't do this unless you do something. But then it requires the faith to step up and do it. That's the key. That step of faith. When we do not ask for a spiritual high to make us feel God or for an experience that can boast our ego or spiritual pride, rather we are asking for power and gifts to make us be able to the task before us of binding the strong man and plundering his home. The task is that of breaking down the gates of hell. For in our victory, God is glorified, honored, pleased, and we are edified. This empowering enables our faith to express itself in love. This is what Billy Graham said. I think it is a waste of time for Christians to look for power we did not intend to use. For might in prayer, unless we pray. For strength to testify without witnessing. For power unto holiness without attempting to live a holy life. For grace to suffer unless we take up the cross. For power in service unless we serve. Someone has said God gives 
dying grace only to the dying. He's right. Holy Graham. Please don't box yourself or God as to what will happen or how it should happen. I'm encouraging. Don't box yourself. God did not make two fingerprints alike. He did not make any snowflakes alike. We know that. And he does not want to make your experience and my experience of the Holy Spirit the same. So don't box yourself. Don't think it's got to happen like that. In Acts chapter 2 at a prayer meeting, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke in tongues of different languages. People could hear them. Some of the people watching said they've had too much wine, but it was only 9 o'clock in the morning. Tongues of fire came upon them. There was a boldness that came into them. The Bible says together, when Peter stood up to preach, they stood together. Whereas before, they were fighting with one another. Now they stood together. That's what the Holy Spirit will do. You'll make us united. True unity can only come by the Spirit. Cannot be man-made. True unity. Together, Peter stood up and said, this is that. This is Joel chapter 2. 3,000 were saved. Acts chapter 4. The same people, no tongues, no prophecy, the building shook. They spoke boldly, but there was nothing else the Bible tells us. Acts chapter 8. They had hands laid upon them to receive the Holy Spirit. No tongues, no prophecy. But when Simon the sorcerer saw the Spirit, how he was given, the Holy Spirit was given on the lane of hands. So he saw something, he wanted that, and he wanted to buy it. He didn't understand, and that's when Peter rebuked him. Acts chapter 10 and 11, when Cornelius, the Gentile, Cornelius and his household, you know the whole story. The Bible says the Holy Spirit came upon all of them, the whole household. They were saved and filled together instantaneously. All happened at one, they got the full package, if you know what I mean, at once. There was speaking in tongues and prophesying. Prophesying means singing praises and edifying and prophesying unto God. Glory, hallelujah, praise the Lord, that type of stuff. I prayed for a lady with two other ladies this, on Friday afternoon, and as we started to pray for her, that's what she started to do. She just started to, where's Melinda? Remember Melinda, yeah. Oh, there's the lady there. Hallelujah. Bless you. Okay. And so that's what happens. And the Bible says, Peter says, this is the same gift that came upon us. So are we to stop it? But notice the order. They got saved and filled with the Spirit. Then they got water baptized. It's amazing. God said, let me just throw this so you don't get stuck in a ritual. And this is the way it's got to be. Acts chapter 9, Saul that became Paul, he got saved. We know how he got saved. He got hit off his horse. Okay, totally hit off his horse when he saw the blinding light. It was midday, and the sun that he saw, or the light he saw, shone brighter than the midday sun. He went blind for three days. He did not eat for three days, and he did not drink for three days. That's quite a salvation. Then the Bible says, Anias, the Lord came to Anias and said, I want you to go to Straight Street. And the man, Saul, I want you to go lay hands on him. He didn't want to go. 
because he said, Lord, he's busy killing us all. <laughs> the Lord said, I want you to go because I've saved him in a sense. And so he went there. He found who was Saul at that point. He laid his hands on him and the Holy Spirit came upon Saul, who later became Paul. There's something like scales fell from his eyes, the Bible says. There's no tongues, no prophesying. And yet this is the man that God used to write half the New Testament. Why am I saying this? Don't let tongues get in the way. It has to be tongues. Tongues will come. But don't let that boggle your brain. That's all I'm trying to say. We make it that the big issue rather than receiving what God wants to give us, the Holy Spirit. Acts 19, the Holy Spirit came upon them when Paul laid his hands upon them. Paul went and said, have you received the Holy Spirit? You go read it. They said, no, we haven't even heard about the Holy Spirit. He laid his hands upon them. The Holy Spirit came upon them as he laid his hands. Tongues came out of them and they prophesied. I'm just showing you that we can't get stuck in the way it needs to happen. That's all. How to receive the Holy Spirit? Glad you asked. By grace through faith. By grace through faith. Every provision for man is by the grace of God. Every provision God has for us. Salvation is by faith. Receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit is by faith. It's on the merits of someone else. It's on the merits of Jesus that we can receive the gift of the Father. Some steps of faith just to help us. The Bible says we need a thirst, we need a drink. So when you drink something, like I've just drunk water here, if I'm thirsty, I've got to drink, I've got to open my mouth, I've got to, sorry, I don't know how else to say this. Drink, I've got to drink. So the Holy Spirit is not received by a negative or a passive attitude. It's an expectant attitude. It's not a critical attitude. It's an expectant attitude. Psalm 81.10 says, Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. In other words, God, come into my life afresh and anew. Whatever words you want to use. And then the Bible says, By asking and healing. In Luke chapter 11, this is a key scripture for what I'm sharing. The disciples come to Jesus and say, they see Jesus praying, so they teach us to pray. Say, so he teaches them what we call the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven. You know that scripture. Then he carries on and he tells a parable. They're all connected. And in this parable, he says there was a man, he was asleep, and it was 12 o'clock midnight. And sorry, Josh, I'm going to use you. And this man comes to Josh's house and knocks on his door. Bang, 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 bang. Josh gets up, oh, who's this, who's he goes, opens the door. And I said, Josh, I need something to eat. Please, I need something to eat. Josh runs in, oh, I haven't got anything to give this guy. Got nothing to, he says, Ken, hang on, hang on. And he goes next door. Kevin, Kevin, please, I've got Ken at my door. He needs something, I can't give it to him. Kevin says, okay, I'll give it to you. Yeah, Josh, Josh gives it to me. I say, thank you. And Jesus says, how much more will the Holy Spirit, the Heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit when you ask Him? How much more will you, the earthly fathers, know how to give good gifts to your children? You won't give Him a snake if He asks for bread. You won't give Him a scorpion if He asks 
for egg, because they look the same. He uses that analogy. Even though you are not like your heavenly father, how much more will your heavenly father give you the gift of the Holy Spirit when you ask him? It's to do with helping someone else. That's the whole point. Josh saying, I can't, what you need, I can't give you, Ken. What you need, you need healing, I can't give it to you, Ken. You need healing, I can't give it to you, Ken. Father, please give me the gift so I can give it to him. That's what the Holy Spirit's about. God, I understand that. It's in serving others. It's in helping others. It's in liberating others. It's equipping others. It's loving others. It's encouraging others. It's edifying others. It's not for you. We've made it about ourselves. That's why it tells that parable. So when that is your heart, be ready. Be ready. So it's asking and yielding. Then there's a place that our emotions play. Why are you all so quiet? Am I that intense? You're drinking. That's a, that was a good answer. I get too intense. Man's emotion have an important part to play in his worship and service. Before I got saved, I was in a false religion or false cult. They try to teach us to curb our emotions. They try to teach us to dull our emotions. We weren't, they try to teach us to not be expressive. And I found I was in that thing for five or six years. I went five times a week. It was to please my then, now my father-in-law, but then while well, my wife was, well, I wasn't married to her because she was involved in it. And I found over a period of time, my emotions got stunted. But that's not in Christianity. Man's emotions have an important part to play in his worship and service. When we are saved, our emotions are not suppressed or taken away. They are liberated and expressed and directed. Don't be afraid of emotions, people. Men, don't be afraid to cry if the Lord's called you to do that. Amen. I cry, she laughs. Don't know what happens, it just happens like that. I cry, she laughs. So we're sitting in the lounge, I'm crying, she's laughing. Oh, look at Ken, he's crying. Oh. <laughs> Spot on. <laughs> Is that happened to you too as well? <laughs> she's rolling on the floor with laughter. Oh, no. <laughs> But why I'm saying that is because joy is often closely related to what the Holy Spirit does. Acts 13.52, it says the disciples were filled with joy when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So physical reactions. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, our body sometimes can't take a supernatural, I'm trying to think what it is, supernatural impact. It's the best word I can think of. I'm trying to think of the right word. And so you can have sensations of electricity in you. You can have a sensation of something burning inside you. You can have a sensation of intense heat in a part of your body or even your whole body. That's what can happen. You can have a sensation. We've seen where people roll on the floor. It was very funny. I, I, I experienced it twice in my life. We prayed for people and they fell and they rolled. They literally rolled across the whole room. They were young people. I understand that. But they rolled. <laughs> 
they rolled. And remember where you got the holy rollers? That's where the term comes from. If you read church history, there was a time of the holy rollers. It's Imagine that, that's God. You think, what? And Clayton and Chantel were there, and Clayton was about six. And he loved us, because they would stop rolling, and then he'd go, and they'd roll more, and he'd, yay! Then he'd, he would run after them, and then he'd, I'm not choking, then he'd wait for them, and when they come, he'd jump up and blow on them, and then carry on. He was having a wonderful time. Roll on the floor. I'm not saying you're going to do that. Sometimes you have powerful shaking. Or sometimes just an inner shaking. Sometimes you'll see a bright light. Sometimes you'll hear an audible voice. Sometimes you'll hear or see visions of heavenly glories. All these are biblical. Bible says in John, the apostle John, who touched Jesus put his head on his bosom, spoke to him, saw him eye to eye. First time Jesus revealed himself after he'd been resurrected, gone up into heaven. The Bible says he fell as if dead. <laughs> Revelation. <laughs> Jesus had to lift him up. I told you this not too long ago. When they came to arrest him, it was about 2,000 soldiers came to arrest Jesus. Jesus went out to meet them, and he said, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus. He says, I am here. And 2,000. Bible says that. They fell over. So he waits for them to get up. Who are you looking for? Jesus. I think they was about to duck when he said, I am here again. But anyway, I'm not too sure what happens. It just happens. There are sometimes physical sensations in our body. I've had the distinct privilege, my wife can bear me out, that I've had possibly about six or seven encounters with God of such magnitude in my life. And I know I haven't understood what each encounter meant, but I've noticed later there's been a shift in something or something shifted or something happened. When we went to the Pentecost, uh, Pensacola revival, how many of you happened to go there? Am I the only one? Pensacola, Pensacola down in Florida? Thank you, hallelujah, a few of you. We heard about it when we were in South Africa. We went, came across here three times to that because I wanted to see and experience. That's why I came, I wanted to see it. I wanted to see what's going on. I'd read about it and I'd heard negative and positive comments. So I said, let me go see it myself. I walked in that building, I sat down, and I just started to weep. I just started to weep. It was a revival of holiness. There was a holiness factor of God in that revival. And a, a revival of people getting saved. All we did was sit in it for three days, went back, came back about a year later, sit in it for three days, got prayed by some of the people that were there. When we went back to our church, something changed in our church. I said the same things, I did the same things, but the impact was different. We went through a season where we had a number of salvations. Isn't that interesting? 
It's like something happened. Yeah. And so sometimes we can't figure out what God is doing and why he's doing it. Please don't figure. If he'll tell you, or he'll let you know if you need to know. But you will notice a change in the days and weeks to come. I have a book here. I brought it up, and what did I do with it? Oh, thank you, Josh. That's how we're going to... If you want to read a little bit more about it, this is a book I recognize. I will leave it here. It's called The Essential Guide to the Power of the Holy Spirit by Randy Clark. It's wonderful. I'll leave it here so you can just take some photos of it later or whatever. But I encourage you, if that's how you desire, get it and buy it and read it. There are a number of other books. He wrote a little book called Baptism in the Holy Spirit by Randy Clark. Very good. Very good. Very down to earth. Very real. I loved it. Very much so. So, all right, so. Scripture gives clear indications of these reactions caused by the overwhelming presence of the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit. But nowhere in the Bible is it ever suggested that those, these things have to happen in order for us to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Nowhere that you have to have a physical sensation. It doesn't talk about it. They just happen sometimes. That's all I'm trying to say. The Bible uses many words to describe filled with the Spirit, being baptized with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit coming upon you, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Many words, and I've got all the scriptures here. The same thing happening, but it just uses many words. And again, I want to encourage you, it's not a once-off experience and then I'm done and dusted. No, it's a gateway into something that God wants for us continually in a relationship that needs to be lived out. It's to live a spirit-filled life. That's what, it, that's what you're entering into, to live a spirit-filled life. Now I'm going to read a little testimony, and then we're going to pray. This was out of the little book that I told you about. This was by a guy called Bob, I don't even know how to pronounce his last name, Balusa. He was a worship leader of a church in St. Louis. Bob is a successful computer analyst who works in the secular world. He's not prone to emotion and is quite the analytical type. Yet Bob's baptism in the Holy Spirit is one of the most inspiring stories I've heard. Bob was sick with the stomach flu. Two of his five young children were also sick with the flu. Bob was hugging the toilet or the commode because he was bringing up when he heard his children beginning to throw up also. He said a short prayer about how God could heal his family. Suddenly, he's hugging the toilet, suddenly his hands began to tingle. Then to be electrified, he felt as if his fingers were going to be blown off. Then he began to experience a gamut of emotions. He was laughing and then crying, then laughing, then crying. At least he had both of them. Not like the laughing and the crying, okay. When he experienced the glory of God. Kathleen, his wife, came into the bathroom to observe her husband being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Bob had a profound sense of the majesty of God. His glory and splendor filled the bathroom where Bob was overwhelmed. Praise and petitions filled his mouth. He left the bathroom to go pray for his children. And everyone was healed. <laughs> 